Hi, and welcome to Recovered, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. Each week, a recovered alcoholic woman is interviewed and asked questions about certain topics surrounding her journey of recovery with your host, Stephanie Crawford. Whether you're in recovery yourself, contemplating giving it a try, or just supporting someone who is, we are so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Hello, podcast listeners. My name is Stephanie Crawford, and I am the host of this here podcast, Recovered, Interviews with Alcoholic Women, which is our flagship series of Recover Out Loud, which has now, I think, five different series. Uh, This one comes out every single Wednesday. If at any chance you feel inspired by this message, please share with a friend, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate us on Spotify, Upload to your Instagram stories um, because your review and you sharing helps get this message out to alcoholics, not just women, but alcoholics everywhere who need to hear a message that they too can recover. Um, The other thing that that does is it helps people know that we're here and people need to know that the Magdalene House exists. We offer services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost and a beautiful building and a place with a loving staff and quality of care and a great curriculum. And so we don't compromise our quality of care to offer that for free. We believe that is something that everyone deserves no matter what their resources are. So um, we have had people find us and have gone through our next step program, which, which is our non-residential program and our first step program because they learned about Maggie's through the podcast. So how cool is that? Um, So anyways, your review, it sounds dramatic, but it's true. Your review can literally help save a life. So um, you can do your part to help others and just something small like that. But anyways, I'm going to get to our guests now. Our guests came highly recommended by two people. One of them is Kate O, um, which her podcast is called The Language of the Heart, and she is just an angel. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I had to take her up on her recommendation and then somebody else also recommended her after I had already scheduled so I think it was like a god thing and so far with our um chatting we've had a good time it's been fun we've had some laughs and and now I'm ready for you all to get to hear what she has to say and what her experience is so Christina welcome hello hi (laughs) so if you don't mind just um giving us some background information about yourself Um, what your drinking looks like and what led you to a place to want to get sober so yes so i am christina uh, like you mentioned recovered alcoholic um i got sober uh, february 3rd of 2019 and oh man how i got here (laughs) so i was actually born in uh, wisconsin um, and we moved uh, around a lot up north before moving down to the dallas area uh, when i was about mm, five or six You know, I had a pretty, I hate the word normal, but normal upbringing. Um, Parents are still together. I have one sister who's eight years younger than me. Um, So quite a a bit of uh, difference there um, age-wise, but uh, she's one of my best friends. So um, it was one of the best days ever. Whenever she was born, I always wanted a little sister. So grew up, like I said, in Dallas area, up in Carrollton, actually. Drinking-wise, I... 
had my first drink, um, I think it was eighth grade, and there was no, the, sc- the skies didn't part, right? I didn't have an aha moment like a lot of alcoholic women do. Uh, it was given to me, you know, by an c- older cousin, <laughs> like I think some people have in their stories. But it, it wasn't a magical moment. Um, I didn't get drunk that night. Nothing bad happened. Nothing great happened, right? It was just kind of there. And um, I went on through high school and my drinking progressed like it does, but it was always a weekend activity in high school. Um, I never was a, um, you know, during the week trying, you know, it didn't, it didn't happen during the week. It was always on the weekends. And I did a pretty good job of keeping up with other activities, right? Like my extracurriculars, my grades, my drinking didn't really affect those things. And I didn't see a lot of external consequences in high school, other than like if I got caught by my parents, you know, things like that. Uh, But there was, you know, there was no legal issues, um, no real relationship issues. Uh, but I, I did notice, you know, now looking back, I always drank to get drunk, mm-hmm. right? Um, I never was a person, once it, once it became part of my weekend activities, I wasn't a person who was like, take it or leave it. I was like, let's go where the alcohol is, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, let's go where the party is. Um, and I wanted to um, be involved with people who were drinking like me. And that led me to be surrounded by some not great influences um, and to, to often hang out with an older crowd, to be honest. Um, but like I said, high school, not a ton of consequences, not a ton of influence. The rest of my life wasn't really influenced by my drinking. And I went to Oklahoma for my first year of college. You know, I, I also hung out with a group there that that drank um, just like, but it, it, it wasn't, I would say, an extensive amount. Um, it was a college amount. Right. Um, it still was mostly on weekends. You know, Thursday night kind of got added into the, <laughs> the mix. So I added an extra night there. Um, but it, it still didn't, especially during my first semester, really affect anything in my educational life, anything in my extracurricular life. Um, I got some great friends out of it. Right. It was still a good time at that time. The first time I remember blacking out from drinking, you know, that's like a uh, contradiction saying I remember blacking out. But the first time I blacked out, um, there was a uh, sexual assault incident that occurred with someone that I considered a friend. And, you know, I bring that up not because, you know, I'm trying to point at things that, quote unquote, made me an alcoholic. I now know that there aren't those things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's definitely something I drank at. For sure. For a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And I went into a pretty deep depression after that happened. Can I ask how old are you? Um, I was, it was my freshman year of freshman, college. Oh, freshman so, year of college. Okay. Yeah, so 18. Okay. Um, yeah, 18. My drinking amped up a little bit after that, not a ton. I still wasn't, you know, drinking around the clock or anything like that. But um, I, like I said, depression definitely sunk in a little bit more. I've always struggled with depression and anxiety and that sort of thing. Um, and that situation was something that I started drinking at rather than um, using drinking as a social activity like mm-hmm. it had been. It became a little bit more of a crutch to numb that, right? And um, it ended up affecting my grades, affecting my cl- like classroom attendance, and I was asked to leave the college, right? <laughs> Always a you know great thing, and it wasn't the last time that that happened to me. Mm-hmm. But so I w- ended up going back home. And I started going to a community college here in Dallas, and I was in an apartment by myself now. 
um, no longer living with, um, you know, a roommate. Um, and I started hanging out with that group that had never left, you know, your high school town. They weren't a great influence either, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't a good influence on them either, though. Like, yeah. I, I migrated toward that group. Yeah. And my drinking continued to progress. It became um, still not a daily thing, but definitely more of a nightly thing, right? And I was still doing it socially, mostly. Um, I still, at that time, didn't wasn't drinking by myself, but I was still always drinking to get drunk. Mm-hmm. And because I had already started that blackout thing, you know, once you blackout once, it's much easier to blackout again, which, mm-hmm. um, so blackouts became more of a frequent thing and that, you know, awful feeling of waking up the next morning, not really sure what had happened and having to check in with people about, oh, that's the worst. Yes. Uh, yeah. Checking your phone. Who have I called? Who did I, t-? you know, all of those things started to occur. And you know, it's never good stuff that no. you did. <laughs> no, you never wake up with like a new opportunity. Yeah. You always, always, you've lost things. Yeah. You've lost, yeah. yeah. Ruined things. And, um, I started to become a really angry drunk. That's kind of when it, I started the um, phase of moving away from my problems, mm-hmm. right? So things would happen in Dallas. So, um, you know, I got a DWI, um, the first of the kind of legal problems that really, I think, was an alert to my parents that something was going on, right? Mm-hmm. So I was enrolled in my first outpatient at 21. First introduction to AA, it was not um, solution-based AA. It was uh, very talk talk therapy, discussion meetings, those sorts of things. I was not impressed. (laughs) And I looked around the room and listened to all of the stories of these broken lives and thought, this isn't me. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm way too young to be here. And so I started moving away, right, from anything that would go wrong. So things went wrong in Dallas, so I moved to San Antonio. And then they went wrong in San Antonio, so I moved to Chicago. And then I went to New York. And, you know, everything that I went... Everywhere I went, I had these great new opportunities. I would enroll in a new school or a new program or something. And I was continued to give, be given these great opportunities. And I would squander them with my drinking, right? Um, And it would always be a different reason I was leaving that program. But usually it had something to do with drinking or burning a bridge or, you know, everything could be traced back. Mm-hmm. Everything could be traced back to alcohol. For sure. Chicago was really kind of the final straw. I was up there for school, and I have family in Chicago that I um, treated horribly because of my alcoholism, and I ended up breaking my leg in a blackout and was basically secluded to my you know, my dorm room at that mm-hmm. time and was not going to classes, was just drinking. That was really the first time that... Um, it, it became very apparent to me that there was a real issue, yeah. right? I ended up going to my first inpatient program after that year in Chicago. So I was 23 in my first inpatient, and it was um, not a AA-based treatment center. Um, AA was optional, <laughs> and I opted out, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and I did the classic uh, met a guy in, mm-hmm. in inpatient Um did you leave early? No. Okay. No, I left. I left. Well, I ended up staying an extra so month because I wanted to be with the guy. That's awesome. Usually it's they run away together. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it ended up not being awesome. So I um, I talked. Yeah. So when I left um, inpatient, I was enrolled in a sobriety house um, here in the Dallas area, which it was a great sober house. I ended up being really, really blessed. 
really blessed, was surrounded by these strong women who were in AA. I was really introduced to the steps and the solution, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But I was still maintaining this relationship with this guy that I had met an inpatient and I was hiding it, Mm -hmm. okay? So I was quote unquote working the steps, living this sober, honest life. But I was hiding this relationship um, mm. from my family, my you know my friends at the. So can I ask why you were hiding it? Was um, because I knew that. Well, number one, <laughs> I knew that I would be told that it wasn't a smart idea, right? Uh, okay. To to start a relationship with somebody else in recovery within the months of getting sober, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Never, it's never intelligent. I think also I I still was that he had become my new drug mm, mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. he had become my higher power um mm-hmm. and he had become my alcohol yeah because that's what i was hiding that's what i was spending my time trying to figure out how i was gonna see the excitement oh totally yeah um and it it blew up right um i ended up trying to like run away from the sober house you know just it was such like a lifetime movie type thing love it, love it. i did the classic alcoholic thing where even when I was found out I was still oh well we're not together anymore you know what I mean like trying Mm -hmm. to admit to just half truths yeah so um I left the sober house I did leave the sober house early (laughs) um surprise surprise and um I'm still maintaining this relationship with this guy uh hiding it from everyone which just created ultimate isolation right mm-hmm. um, my family still I was around my family in the Dallas area and was being offered this amazing support system by these women from AA and I was not using it in mm-hmm. any um, way I ended up getting pregnant and deep down I knew I was not steady in mm-hmm. my sobriety and neither was he he um he had an outside issue he was not an alcoholic he was a, um, a drug addict I gave I made the choice to give the baby up for adoption wow. um which was incredibly hard yeah right it's it and that became my new thing to drink at right um I'm right sure. after right after um the going through that entire process I started drinking again so what year was this um I was 24 when so it was right after um, a year after going into inpatient that okay. I, so I got pregnant pretty quickly mm-hmm. after leave. I mean, it was, I, I found out that I was pregnant after, like right before I left the sober house. And that was part of it was mm-hmm. I didn't want to come clean to them. I had hid it from my family that I was uh, pregnant. Like it was, it was a total mess and it was all of my own making. Mm-hmm. Right. Looking in the moment, I was look, trying to blame all these other things. Like, you know, um, it was because the, you know, the hold my parents had on me. I didn't want to come <laughs> come clean to them. Um, it was because of this guy. You know, I loved him so much, blah, blah, blah. And it was I was trying to blame all these outside issues for problems of my own making. Yeah. Right. Um, and me trying to play God. Right. Um, I was trying to control what people knew and what they saw of me. Ugh, that's something I can still do. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. My sponsor says that I can, I try to control the way people see oh, me. Oh, 100%. I'm mm-hmm. such a, deep down, I'm such a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has nothing to do with people actually liking me. It has to do with what I want them to see of yeah. me. Right? Yeah. Right? Um, I want them to think highly of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I went through the adoption process with my daughter and, uh, very quickly after that situation, the relationship, um, started to become abusive. Um, and, you know, it started out emotional and, you know, mental games type. Now, was he sober at this point? No, we no. both went back out. Oh, you both went back that. out. Okay. 
Um, and there was periods of sobriety. Let me, I want to be clear about that for both of us. Um, I, I think the most I strung together was six months, you know, at a time. And I went back into another inpatient after, because mm-hmm. obviously like my family, once I had the baby, they <laughs> found out that every, what everything had, that had been going on yeah. about the relationship and everything. I want to say I went back out right after the adoption process and probably six months later went to another inpatient treatment because things had gotten so bad and then lasted six months of sobriety right Mm -hmm. went back out and then I would like I said I would kind of tiptoe back into AA try it for a little while um, but was didn't ever have a home group didn't ever have a sponsor Mm -hmm. nothing that um, there was no seriousness in my want to get sober I just knew that I needed to Mm. And he never went back into the program. He was just going out and then would have periods of sobriety. And mm-hmm. then, um, and he was using his drug of choice. So it wasn't like we were sitting around. I mean, he would drink too. But anyways, so it, it turned fairly abusive. Um, and eventually, you know, it, it never got incredibly physically abusive, but there were moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it became what I drank at, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what I blamed my drinking for, we were together for four years. So, and we got, we, um, had the pregnancy in the first year of being together. So three years, you know, after that. And I think a lot of that had to do with, I convinced myself no one would ever understand that situation that we had been through together, mm. right? Not mm-hmm. only the sobriety and the recovery factors, which we weren't in recovery ever, right? But also with the adoption, I was like, no one's ever going to get that. I'm never going to find somebody else who understands that on the level that I went through, yeah. right? So eventually it got to a point where I was just drinking and he was just using. And with his with his using it became more physical and i got very you know my parents my family was always there and i just didn't reach out and i go back and forth what that was <laughs> right uh and i think a lot of women who have been in um mentally or physically abusive relationships do this part of it was absolutely fear and protection of that other person mm-hmm. right but part of it was also I didn't want to give up my solution, which was alcohol. Mm-hmm. And I knew once I reached out, right, that would be gone mm-hmm. or it would have to be confronted. Yeah. And like you also said, too, it's like that relationship yeah. also becomes another Total higher drug power. and excuse to drink. Yes. Yeah. Totally. It was just a vicious cycle. It was mm-hmm. the exact cycle of addiction. Yep. And I could apply it to both my drinking and my relationship. Yeah. Same. And yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that's one of my biggest connections with women today, which is such a blessing, is mm-hmm. I can sit down from, because so many of us have been in situations like that, whether we recognize it as abusive or not, right? right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got really lucky in the terms that I was at a, I had somehow landed a, a fairly decent job um, at a local store. And at that store, there were um, several people who really cared about me really good friends Mm. they noticed right that he was always dropping me off and picking me up there was usually like some sort of like tears right I was crying a lot it was very obvious things weren't great right Mm -hmm. I ended up one morning showing up to work 
it had been an especially bad morning and we had cops on duty at all times. And I had kicked him out probably a week before or like done the first like attempt, right? right? Which was a cycle as well. Yeah. And uh, he, sorry, this is such a long like <laughs> part of the story. No, but. I love it. Okay. I love it. Okay. So. Because um, there's, there are so many, and I'm just also thinking too, like how much our stories are similar. Mm. And so, yeah. And, part, and a huge part of it is that the cycle of the abusive relationship and we've done a partnership with like genesis and other places and stuff and um a lot of the times in in the past i've shared my experience Mm. with domestic violence because it is a part of my story Mm -hmm. and it was like i knew like now looking back it was like one was always going to take me back to the other yeah you know one thousand percent and it's the exact same cycle like i think this time it's going to be different and here's how (laughs) Yes. You know, and then like that text or that email, because sometimes you have every, everything blocked, blocked yep. you know, but not the email. <laughs> yeah. And that comes through and it's like that phenomenon of craving yep. gets set on fire. And then it's the like, mental obsession. Yeah. It's, yeah, everything. And then it's like, my, he is my higher power. So when I don't have it, I'm restless, irritable, irritable, discontent. discontent. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I totally relate to that. And so we had cops on duty at the store. I showed up. There had been an incident that morning that had gotten probably the most physical it ever had, and I ended up filing a restraining order. That was the turning point of getting me out of that relationship, which is not always true for a lot of women, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was very lucky that I had people holding me accountable, right, Um, in terms of my friendships at that store. I think my biggest regret was not turning to those people and my parents sooner who were always there waiting, right? But how many women have you helped, though, because of this? 100%. Right. No. And that's why that's one of the thousands of things I love about this program, mm-hmm. right? My darkest moments have turned into my greatest strengths yeah. with helping women. And so um, I ended up getting out of that relationship. I moved because, he, you know, he was following me for a while. You know, it's it's the same old story that I'm not going to, like, go through every step of, of what happened afterwards. But I ended up getting out basically, mm-hmm. and um, was still at this job. That was the only thing that was the same after that relationship. And um, I, a few years later, so I'm going to skip ahead, um, I end, I was in a new relationship with um, a guy who did not drink just because he didn't, right? <laughs> like, he's the one who needs help, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I didn't understand it, and I still don't. Um, but uh, I ended up, I was in this new relationship that was much on the surface healthier in terms of who he was, right? He was, I had gone, I'd done a complete 180. You know, I'd, I'd gone for the really stable, good, smart guy who didn't drink. And um, I was at this good job with good friends and I was still in this pattern of alcoholism mm-hmm. and still having blackouts, still trying to drink myself to death, basically. And all of these things that I had blamed for my drinking, right? The abusive relationship, the adoption, the sexual assault were so far in my past, right? Like years. Mm-hmm. And I was still drinking at them, right? I thought, and they were still my excuse for drinking. And, and, and every, yeah. in a lot of ways, all my excuses were gone and I was still doing it and I didn't understand, right? So, um, Christmas of 2018, I showed up drunk at my family's house. 
just classic behavior, <laughs> another <laughs> lifetime movie moment. And um, was supposed to go out of town with them that day, right? Um, I ended up like detoxing on the plane because I, whenever I would get caught drinking, it was always, oh, this is, you know, this is the first time in a while type stuff that we tell everyone, right? Just those half truths that right. we keep telling. Yeah. Um, so they had no idea that I was going to be going through a severe detox. I wasn't able to sleep or eat on the trip and I started hallucinating like at one point you know like it was I should have been in a hospital 100% and I got so scared at one point that you know it it was I was 29 so 29 years old I go downstairs in this house and I crawl in bed with my mom and my dad and I'm just bawling right and I'm because I it was the I had reached that point Mm -hmm. right that absolute point of despair the jumping off point I'm like about to cry thinking about it because it was just, and you know, they didn't really, they knew what was going on. I remember my mom at one point while I was like, cause I, I would have these like um, night terrors. She was like, this is the alcohol leaving your body, isn't it? And I was like, shit. Like, <laughs> yes. Damn. You know, like, yes, yeah. it is. So when we got back. And, well, and people don't know that alcohol detox can do that yep. to you. 100%, especially if you're not sleeping. It had been, it was like two, I had gone two nights without sleep yeah. because of, I wasn't drinking to put myself to bed, yeah. right? And like you hear, like you hear about that kind of stuff with like drug detox mm-hmm. or drug induced mm-hmm. hallucinations, but like people. It was the real, it was the real deal and it was terrifying. Yeah, but yeah. it's a thing. It totally, and especially, like I said, especially when, and I, you know, of course, like now I've read up on it, especially when you, you're not sleeping and you're, severely dehydrated because of all of the alcohol that's leaving mm-hmm. your body at a, a, like a crazy rate. Yeah, it's the night terrors, the hallucinations that were coming with them were very, very scary and very oh, real. Yeah. Um, and when we got back to Dallas, um, we my parents started looking for an outpatient for me. Um, and, you know, I, I knew where the solution was. I knew that it was AA. Um, and I, I had um, almost a like rebel instinct to be like, I don't want it to be AA mm-hmm. because that means the solution was introduced to me nine years ago. Uh, yeah. And then you can't say it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I can't blame it on all my dishonesty and manipulation mm-hmm. and yeah. self-centeredness and selfishness. Right. Yeah. So um, we did find a, an outpatient they were very AA focused, um, much to my chagrin. And uh, I, I went there in the first month, I was still drinking on and off, or not, not even first month, like two or three weeks, still drinking on and off. And they hadn't like t- tested me yet, right? So I'm thinking I'm gonna be able to get through <laughs> this whole thing, right? Like I'm just gonna get everybody off my back. Or did you have a sponsor and were you working the steps? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. And I was giving excuses as to why not. Right, hadn't found the right person, hadn't gone to the right meeting, all those sorts of things. Yeah, of course, of course, because <laughs> because that's what we do. Because it was still, it was it was. I had gotten to that point. Can't live with it. Can't live without yeah. it. Can't imagine my life the going this way anymore. But can't imagine what it looks like without that crutch, without mm-hmm. that numbing, without that alcohol. So I um, finally. It, it all came to a head where I knew that I, I got tested. I knew that I was going to be found out that I had been drinking, right? Um, so I talked to one of the counselors there 
um, who I think is a mutual friend of ours, James. Mm-hmm. And um, he was like, okay, this Saturday, meet me at birthday night, you and your boyfriend come. And I was like, okay. So we went and it was... And this is a boyfriend who did not drink. Boyfriend who did not drink. Okay. Who was so support. I mean, he had been waiting for me to get sober. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where if he had in any way pushed me to do that or tried to out me, right? Because he was just as much in the lying and the addiction, like, cycle as I was because I was making him hide all these things from people who loved me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so his depression and anxiety was, I mean, so far down in the tubes, right? Because yeah. of this... He, and he was in it just as much as I was, even though he wasn't drinking. But he had been waiting for this moment. So he's like, yes, let's go. Like, whatever it takes. Um, so we go to PPG, Saturday night's birthday night. You know, it's so inspirational. All these people getting their chips. All, you know, years of sobriety up there. All these w- strong women. Um, I ended up finding the person who I, you know, thought was going to be my sponsor. I asked for a couple different numbers. I got a... Um, a uh, 24-hour chip, right? And then I went home that night and I drank. Mm -hmm. And I woke up the next morning and I called the counselor and I called Courtney, who ended up being my sponsor, totally baffled. You know, I thought that was the turning point. Maybe, you know, I'm hopeless. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like what's going on? And they both had the same reaction, which was, of course you did. And Courtney's exact response was, I would have been more surprised if you didn't drink. And not only did that blow, blow my mind, but it gave me enough pause to be like, okay, maybe she knows something I don't. Yeah. Because I could not figure it out. Even though I had been surrounded by the solution, you know, nine years ago, I wasn't in any place to listen. And there had been a time where I knew the book very well. I still hadn't ever digested it right so that was on Sunday that I had woken up and called her and she told me Monday um, the next day to meet her at Maggie's um, for the noon meeting and um, Courtney had gone through the Magdalene house and carried the message um, on Mondays at noon with her sponsor Cindy Mm -hmm. Um, so I went and I listened to them describe you know one two and three and afterwards I sat in the old house across from Courtney at the, you know, the white table, the white card table. Mm -hmm. And she broke down step one for me. And by the end of it, I was bawling. Really? Mm. And she looked at me and she was like, good. You're exactly where you need to be. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, what? (laughs) You know, I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, this is... This is the worst news I've ever gotten. I am totally and 100% screwed, right? And she's like, yeah, you are. Left to your own devices, you're 100 and totally, totally screwed. And that was the first time I left any meeting, any inpatient, any outpatient with the thought, I am going to drink again unless I do something different. Mm-hmm. Because up until that point, I had left every, you know, every treatment center, every outpatient, every meeting. Okay, not going to drink, not going to drink. Got this, not going to drink. And that's not my truth. Right. My truth is not don't drink no matter what. My truth is I drink no, no matter, matter what. what. Yes. <laughs> and 
that was the first time it really hit me yeah. that I needed to get on this and do something different. And if I didn't, it was going to happen again. Um, and so that's when I started my journey with Courtney and, you know, within three weeks was done with the steps mm -hmm. and was carrying the message at that Monday noon meeting. And it was, I mean, it's been obviously the most beautiful journey, but yeah, that's the, oh, surprisingly the short version. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's so much good stuff in there though. I mean, you, um, I just don't even know where to start um, because there's a lot of stuff that I want to ask about just based on um, on your story. Sure. But I think I think I'm gonna go in this direction. Can't wait. And you let me know if you <laughs> think that that's dumb. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the you're married now. I am. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And it's a recent marriage. It is. We got married in May, um, and it's the boyfriend that um, didn't drink and that was waiting for me to get sober. Right. Um, yeah. And, TJ. Yeah. And you were talking about. Okay. So I have some so many questions that I want to ask yeah. um but before one of the things that before we got on this podcast you were talking about like having to like almost like re-date mm. re-meet each mm -hmm. other when you got sober so can you tell us about that absolutely so um when TJ and I met we met at the store that I was working at um he was one of the friends that really oh, cared really trying to get me out of you know had figured out that I was not in a good situation and uh when we first started like hanging out after I had gotten out of that relationship, um, he he downplayed the fact that he didn't drink at all, right? Mm. So he he was just kind of like it was always like a reason that he wasn't drinking. Like it'd be oh. like, oh, like I'm I don't feel very well, or I just don't feel like it tonight, or you know what I mean, that yeah. kind of thing. And I, of course, was downplaying the fact that I was a raging alcoholic. <laughs> that I drink all the time. <laughs> yes. And I was, you know, at that time, um, obviously, was the goal was always not to drink. Are you looking for a way to give back and get involved with the Magdalene House? No work is too small, and our dedicated volunteers serve as a valuable resource to our organization we couldn't help alcoholic women and their families without the priceless services they provide. We provide opportunities for all, as well as opportunities strictly for women in recovery. To get started, please visit our website at magdalenhouse.org volunteers and click on new volunteer sign up. See, my goal was never to control my drinking, to like mm. go off for a second. I knew that I was going to either have to stop or that I was going to die like this. That was very apparent to me because I was never a person who was like, I wish I could have one that sounded like hell to me. It sounds like hell to me now. It sounds awful. Like, what's right? the point? I, like, I wish I could have, like, six. That was, like, my... <laughs> that was too. always my goal. That's what I was, too. Like, it was like, why? One? Why? Yeah. 100%. So I would anyways, always be like, it's a waste of calories. <laughs> a waste of calories. It doesn't... If anyone says they're doing it for the taste, they're lying. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just... So anyways, so I was downplaying the fact that I was drinking all the time. He was downplaying the fact that he didn't drink. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so by the time we realized where each of us actually was in that drinking journey, um, it was almost like too late. 
like it was he was kind of like oh like you you drink a lot and I'm kind of like oh you don't drink, drink at all <laughs> do you and so that was an interesting dynamic from kind of the beginning um but like I said I had gone the exact opposite way that I had that my ex was and I don't think it's a secret to you know my husband that I thought this was just like an overcorrection right mm. So I had gone for, from the, you know, drug addict, um, very aggressive, very um, quote unquote, um, not even manly is not the right word, but you know what I mean. Just kind mm-hmm. of classic yeah. guy yeah. that um, to this very quiet, uh, very intellectual, um, very kind person. Mm. And I knew from the get go I felt safe. With him? Oh, I relate to that so mm. much because, like, I my last four-step that I did probably about one or two years ago, like, we did extended third and fourth column and, like, over and over and over again. Um, and my security was, like, I need to feel safe. I mm. need to feel safe. And then um, my sponsor said, was Isaac the first guy who was – he had – he had relapsed at this point. He hadn't sure. died yet. But he was, um, I was once engaged to him in mm. sobriety and we had a child together. And, and she said, Was Isaac the first guy you ever felt safe with? Mm. Makes me get emotional thinking about it. But course. I was like, um, Yeah, he was. And she's, and she's like, It makes sense. Yeah. But the, I mean, so I just want to be like, no, That completely I, speaks to me. Yes. And it, it makes me cry like now um, because I, I had, I had always been drawn to relationships where there was a little bit of like, I thought excitement, but what it really was, was toxicity. Yes. <laughs> right? Passion, um, right? Passion. That, that's, that, was, yeah. that was actually just fighting mm-hmm. or um, questioning if they were going to stay faithful, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where the, I thought that that was like, you know, so exciting that we, hard to get or whatever. Yeah. And this was the first man who made me feel completely seen, completely safe, right? And um, yeah, so for the first, we've been uh, together seven years as of August 1st. um, And he, for the first three, three and a half, I was drinking um, in some capacity, right? Did you have periods of sobriety? (sighs) Yes and no. Like... I would taper down, okay. kind of, right? <laughs> like I would, I would start like count, trying to count my drinks, but by the end of the night, it was always the same. So yeah. yes, there was periods where I was trying to get sober. Short, short answer, no, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, no. Um, there was different um, periods of wanting to be sober, mm-hmm. and then different periods of thinking I'm never, it's never going to happen for me, right? And uh, so anyway, so first three and a half years we're together, I'm drinking. Um, we moved in together within like six months of starting to date. It was very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think we both knew it was, it was different um, in terms of, at least for me, I, I knew that this had the potential to be a, a, a long-term thing if I could get shit together. Mm-hmm. If he had ever pressured me or said, you know, and we can't do A, B, and C unless you get sober, I can't say that that would have been the case, 
right? Um, because it wouldn't have been for me. Right. Um, and so anyway, so I, I had him in this loop of lying to my parents if they, you know, if they asked, which they had a, at a certain point, my parents stopped asking. Yeah. Because they, they didn't want to know, yeah. right? And when they would finally confront and ask, I would lie. So what What's what was the, the point? point? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the most, like now, best, I think, relationship, most supportive parents in the world. And they were supportive then too. Um, but they were just as scared of the answers, yeah. right? So uh, anyways, back to your question. Sorry. No. Um, so... Yes. So when I got sober, as like many people know, you become a different person, right? Um, especially in those, and it's a very rapid change at first. If you're if if it happens for you that way, which it did for me, the first mm-hmm. three weeks of sobriety, working the steps, I was a completely different person from when I started to the end of that. Yeah, same. and continued to make those drastic changes in my life very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, anybody who says like, don't make any major changes in the first year of sobriety, bullshit. It's all changes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like that's all we're doing is changing our Mm -hmm. life. So I, um, we did, we had to completely get to know one another again. And in a lot of ways, he was getting to know the real me for the first time. He had seen glimpses of it, right? Like when we were at work and I was sober, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, I think little by little over those first three years that we were together he had watched it disappear the person that he had initially fallen in love with because i i was just retreating so far into myself and i really got to know him for the first time because i was getting out of my own selfishness and self-centeredness right Mm -hmm. and i started to see that these traits that i had been drawn to were actually things that i was very much in love with right and I had said, uh, like, up uh, to that point, we had already, like, admit, like said that we were in love with each other and all of those things. But it took on a new meaning, that in love with and that. Um, what What's the meaning that it took on? Um, it took on a new meaning of because I now know you and I love you, right? Whereas before it was like, I love what you do for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love the way you make me I feel. I love that you make me feel safe. I love that, you know, you, I know I don't have to worry about you leaving me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I think it would have gotten to that point if things had continued as they were. But I was, there was something very huge for me about not worrying that he was going to get scared and run away. He was there to the bitter end, for better or for worse, from the beginning. And what it became instead is, I got to new, know him on a new level and continue to know get to know him on a new level every day, hopefully, you know, for the rest of my life, that um, it was this person that I loved so much more about him than just what he made me feel. Mm. It's so good. <laughs> it, it felt, yeah, it feels good. It was, it was, um, it was scary, though, to let someone in. That was going to be my next question, actually, was um, was there a lot of fear, mm. like, being like, oh, my gosh, especially, like, you know, this is how I've been for, I think mm-hmm. you said three years, mm-hmm. and now... Totally. Totally different. Is he still going to, is he going to 
still love me? Yeah. Is he going to leave? Like, did you have any fear through that process? Um, yes. And, um, you know, he's the only person, and still to this day, that I've never lied to. So from the beginning, um, he saw the worst, right? And I don't know. I mean, he's literally a saint because I don't know how at the beginning he saw through all that bullshit of um, this isn't really her, right? So I think for a long time he was kind of waiting for that real me to emerge. And so it wasn't necessarily a fear of him leaving or him not liking what he saw, right? It was just a fear of that vulnerability of, okay, I've shown you the worst, but like, I'm not sure what my best even looks like, Mm. right? I started this, you know, my journey with alcoholism at such a young age, right? Like I know a lot of people start even younger, but you know, 18 was, you know, my first real kind of bout into drinking a lot, right? I didn't know who I was. Yeah. So I wasn't even, it wasn't about him not, I just wasn't sure we were going to fit. Yeah. Right? Like what, who am I? What does this look like? What do I even really like to do? Um, so much of my life had been revolved around drinking or getting alcohol or who the best people that were around alcohol, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what my friendship groups had become about. So I just, you know, a lot of people talk about AA and talk about recovery and say, you know, I, I, I'm just so thankful to AA that I got my life back. No, AA gave me a life for the first time. Ugh, relate to that so much. Because I didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like my life had always been defined by being the relationships I was in or who I was drinking with and like what like program I was in at the time, right? Like whether it be school or like an acting program or you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. these types of things. And then what friendship group or what guy I was with. Yeah. I mean, you can even bring it back to the book, right? Where it says if if they were to recreate their lives, mm. you know, it's like it's not about the life I had before recovery sucked anyways. Yes. Yeah. I didn't want that life back. Which yeah. I think, I think that's probably a lot of why it takes some of us so long to really like commit to, to the steps because it's such a fear of not knowing yes it's not knowing like what life is going to look like but it's like but what what would my life even be right like i <laughs> that's all it was yeah i was, love how you said like i didn't even know what my best was going to look like mm-mm. and i didn't and so that was the fear yeah was i didn't know myself so introducing somebody else to that at the same time was super scary um because i was just introducing myself to myself and he, but he was, I mean, amazing. He, when we went through the, I went through that outpatient um, program, they had like family weekends and family therapy and all that stuff. And he did go to every single like thing. And that was when we were just dating. Wow. Right. We weren't even engaged or anything at that point. And I, I remember like one time my, cause he and my mom would mostly go. My dad um, works at night, so it was hard for him mm-hmm. to go. But he, my dad was at everything he could as well. And my sister even like flew in from Austin to go. Like my family was incredibly supportive. They just wanted their daughter, sister, 
whatever back, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Those glimpses that they'd seen over the years. My mom kind of, you know, looked at TJ one time during like one of these group sessions. She's like, I'm not really sure why you're here. Like, like, not like why you're here in, not in a rude way, but like in like the world, like why God put you here. She was like, but I'm very glad you are. And it was just such a moment of like, yeah, like I don't know how we got so lucky to have like this guy, you know, on this journey. But I think with both. Uh, my husband and my sister, it was the first time I was getting to know these people because my sister was eight years younger. So she was, you know, just becoming like a real deal person as I was really going into my alcoholism. Yeah. Right? Like she was, you know, 10 when I graduated high school. So those are the two relationships. You know, I'm incredibly grateful for my parents and the relationship I've been able to cultivate with them now in sobriety. But those two relationships are the biggest blessings that I've gotten out of this recovery process is getting a relationship with my husband and then my sister, who's my best friend. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So I also have another question, though, too. I'm going to ask you about your, your sister, too. But yeah. You brought your alcoholism to the relationship. <laughs> Did you also bring like this is what I bring to the table, right? Yeah, <laughs> great catch. Um, but but you are. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> but. Did you also bring in like baggage from that abusive relationship mm, into it? Totally. And I don't want to like get like super, you know, intense, but it was a lot of actual like um, intimacy baggage um, Same. into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big struggle actually in the sobriety process um, because the only time before that that intimacy had come into the relationship was when I was drinking. Right. Um, because I was numb during those mm-hmm. times or blacked out or you know what I mean? Like whatever, mm-hmm. where I wasn't sure what that journey was going to look like for myself or with my significant other. Um, and he was gracious enough to go on that journey with me and to be very incredibly patient and all of those things. Um, because I, that was the main baggage I brought into it. And it wasn't like, in that abusive relationship that had ever been part of the abuse. Mm-hmm. It was just that trust right. had been broken yeah. with someone who I had, you know, um, cared for and trusted. I don't know if I ever actually fully trusted my ex. I think I always knew that there was a lack, like there was something I couldn't give to him mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be safe. Yeah. But absolutely. And I brought in a lot of, um, I mean, straight up like PTSD when it comes to, uh, you know, loud, I mean, loud noises, like being scared when things, um, like I can't handle, like, you know, like some people think it's cute to like jump out at you whenever, I can't handle that. I can't, like I literally can't, like there was, there was just things like that and things, um, to this day, it still like bothers me when, like like, sudden movements, sudden movements Mm -hmm. when, uh, if I think for some reason my husband's mad at me, like, which he very he's not like in any way an aggressive person i need to find out immediately like what i did wrong and that's a method of control within myself i now know right um because he doesn't need to tell me why he's upset why he's upset if he doesn't want to yeah in the moment it was it was always when i was in that relationship if i did something wrong i needed to fix it immediately before things got you know bad 
between us or something. Like it was my responsibility. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there there was definitely vulnerability issues, intimacy issues, um, trust issues. I mean, all of the above. And now you can like give him the space to have his feelings without oh, feeling the need to fix absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, and it, it's a journey, right? Like there's mm-hmm. still moments where I find myself um, wanting to fix it immediately. Or str- like, you know, I, I still apologize too much. And he tells me that all the time. You know, if I, any little thing, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like, that's, I'm sorry. And he's like, why are you sorry? You know, what did you, you didn't do anything wrong in that. Like, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of it, like I said, I, I, I did definitely did an overcorrection when I went into this relationship. And a lot of it was wanting to be the one in control. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Because I had had such a lack of control in that past relationship. So I wanted to be the, you know, the the alpha. Right. In Mm -hmm. this new relationship. And that for me, there's things that I still need to work on when it comes to. I don't need to be the one in control. Right. Like, it's okay that we walk this journey side by side rather than me deciding, like, where we're going and pulling him mm-hmm. along. And um, so there's still some, yeah, definite control issues. <laughs> well, you know what I think is so cool, though, um, you know, is like these are like this self awareness and these tools are mm. things that we learn from the steps 100%. and from the program. 100%. You know, and so it's like how lucky are we you know not only are we in a situation to be able to you know use our past to help others but also have this kind of awareness and spiritual tools to help us totally and i like totally and that's why like the 11th step when i'm you know doing my meditation my prayers at night I'll sometimes, like, afterwards have to go into the other room, like, wherever TJ's hanging out if he's not in bed yet. And I'll be like, you know, you know, or I apologize. Earlier today, I snapped at you about A, B, and C. And there was just no need for that, you know? And he's, he'll be like, are you doing your nightly meditation? I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, yeah. People are going to hear this and they're going to be like, every spouse should do a nightly <laughs> nightly review now. And it doesn't always happen. I don't always immediately, you know, see the error of my way. Sometimes I have to call Courtney and she has to tell me. But in those moments, I'm so grateful <laughs> that he's able to be like, it's it's fine. Are you doing your nightly? I'm like, yes. Oh, I love that. I'm evaluating. So <laughs> I'm evaluating. <laughs> well, so, okay. Now I want to ask, I think this is a common thing with with women and especially ones that have like abusive partners in their past. Right. And um, do you make the amends? Do you not make Mm -hmm. the amends? You know, and so I think there's not a cookie cutter answer for that question. And so I just want to ask for your experience with it. Absolutely. By the time I was in the amends process, I had cut all communication Mm -hmm. um, in terms of he was living a sort of lifestyle where his phone number would change a lot. Yep. Okay. Um, he was living the type of lifestyle where he was not on social media. Mm-hmm. And I had cut all of the contacts I knew how to. Courtney and I talked through it in a way where if I was contacted by him, I was willing. Right. Right? Yeah. That's all I can mm-hmm. be. And to be honest, when it comes to, we have a um, we have a semi-open adoption. 
um, which means I got we got updates on her for the first, uh, I believe, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's kind of up to them, right? Up to the family, up to her. If they ever want to reach out, that's, you know. And that's an amends that, even going farther down that amends road, uh, that's an amends I never know if I'll be able to make. But I'm willing, right? Mm-hmm. And if that ever arises, I'm assuming that her dad will also be involved. And um, I'm willing to make that amends if the if the time presents itself. I have not sought him out okay. to make that amends. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You know, uh, at the beginning, it was still very much fear, like actual physical fear mm-hmm. of him. Yeah. Right? And I think when the book's talking about um, unless, you know, it would do harm to others, you know, that sort of thing, I don't think that it's talking about because a lot of people kind of take that as, well, it would do if it would do harm to you or others, mm-hmm. right? And I agree that if mental harm emotional harm that doesn't count right like with us because it's obviously going to be a a mental and emotional strenuous thing right when we're making amends to someone that um hurt us yeah but when it comes to physical safety um and not knowing where that person is especially when there's outside substances involved right like in legal issues and all of those sorts of things I do believe that there's a little bit more of a leeway of, I'm not sure if victims contacting their abuser is a healthy mm-hmm. part of the healing process, yeah. right? That doesn't mean, like I said, if I ever come run into him in a Walmart, now I don't think he's even in the area anymore, but if I did, right, right. I'm willing to make that amends. Yeah. But I, I'm not going to seek him out. And that's kind of my experience, too. In fact, my very first sponsor that took me through the steps was like, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Like, the only amends that you make to him is you never talk to him again. Mm. And I think at, like, two weeks sober, right? Yeah. That was a very smart, 100%. smart thing, you know? And then this last four-step and round of steps that I did, we revisited that relationship. It came down to kind of like what you said, like, not seeking him out but i wrote a letter Mm. that i know that i didn't mail to him right i read it to my sponsor and even and just me writing a letter to my sponsor she was like hmm why'd you guys say that that sounds kind of manipulative (laughs) i'm like he's not even gonna hear this (laughs) you know (laughs) and so but then you know she's like just know though if you ever see him that's god putting him in your path to make this amends yeah and and we know how that goes right like when you get to the amends people literally come out of the woodwork yeah it's crazy yeah i got chills thinking about that yeah (laughs) it's crazy who you run into when you're going through the when you first get to step eight Mm -hmm. right eight and nine so it's like yes i totally believe that if that amends is meant to be made he will be put in my path. Yeah. And the same goes for, you know, my daughter. The same goes for um, other, you know, exes that I've had that I'm not meant to reach out to them because they're married and have kids of their right. own, right? And that would mm-hmm. do harm to them and their families. So it's it's just one of those things where all you can do is be willing. Mm-hmm. And I've continued to practice that willingness, right? There's times that it, it ebbed and flowed in the beginning, right? Where I was like, no, if I see him, you know, I'm running or calling the cops or, mm-hmm. you know, going to hit him. Like, you know, there's so <laughs> yeah. many things. There's so many paths that you go on with that journey. But it's it's definitely something now, most of the time, you know, I'm, I'd be 100% willing to make that 
amends. That's all I can do. Yeah. And that in itself, I think, also speaks to the healing that has mm. been done already. 100%. Yeah. Well, and that was uh, that and the um, sexual assault incident were the two, there were many, obviously, aha moments in my fifth step. But mm. being able to look at two incidents that I could not see any part in right where i was like no that was 100 percent those two people and i want to be really careful here and any women who are listening who have had sexual assault or domestic abuse because neither of those things were my fault right in any sense of the word but i had to completely remove Right, just like we have to do with every other relationship, mm-hmm. even though these were heavier things, I had to completely remove those things and look at just my part if those things had never been involved. Right. And that was, I mean, to say life changing inc- I mean, is an understatement because I could look at my relationship with my ex, who, yes, he was abusive, but guess what? I stopped loving him like before I left him, like mm-hmm. way before, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge my part thing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was manipulative in that relationship. I was incredibly selfish in mm-hmm. that relationship. And those were things that were completely separate from his ab- abusive tendencies. Mm-hmm. And so being able to c- completely set those things aside, there's something not only healing in that, but there's something incredibly powerful mm-hmm. in that, right? Yes. I think that's something this program gives us. I also think that when you get to tell your story or talk about your story with other women or do things like this with you and you talk about those things that most people avoid talking about, they lose their power over you little by little, Mm -hmm. right? Every time I talk about the sexual abuse or the domestic abuse or the adoption, those things gain a little bit less power over my heart and my peace, Mm -hmm. right? Because I'm using them for good. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, that's hands down my favorite part. And you're coming from a place of like being empowered and not mm. a victim. And exactly. like my survivor. Ex- yeah. Not a victim. Yeah. And like my experience, right, is like because it's whenever I was saying how our stories are very similar, mm. um, one of my first drunk, drunk experiences, I was also sexually mm-hmm. assaulted by a group of guys that I thought were my friends. You know, so that like was one of the things that. I continued to drink at and sure. you know like again like I did nothing to deserve that Mm-mm. right um but the baffling part of it is is like I put myself the reason why I got myself in that situation is because I was the only girl in a group of guys wasted on vodka blacking out passing out but yet like I'm drinking more now mm. and like I'm like it's like gives me another reason to drink when Alcohol was what put me in this situation it's, to begin with. Exactly. When we look at the, you know, the havoc of our past, it makes no sense that yeah. we continue to do it. And that's exactly because I had a hard time because I'm, you know, I consider myself a feminist and, you know, I, I, I think there's an extreme rape culture going mm-hmm. on in our world right now. So for me to sit there and be like, well, I shouldn't have been blackout drunk. That's not the point. Right. Right. Absolutely. Because that stuff shouldn't happen regardless. Exactly. No. No, 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 yeah. no. But am I aware that those things happen and that unfortunately as a woman in this society, we do have to be more aware? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Right? Um, I let my guard down. 
around someone that yes, I should have been able to trust, but I also like it's one of those things where it's like I shouldn't have to be on alert, but I also know that I need to be. Mm-hmm. Right? And that was my part in that. Is exactly what you said. And I think where our part comes in a lot is with the healing. Mm, yes. Right? So that's that's so important. I didn't have a part in the actual like no, the sexual assault was not my fault in any like I said, in any sense of the word it's no it's never a, it's never the victim's fault. Right. But it then becomes my responsibility to take care of the healing. Yes. And then not also use that, that as an excuse. Yeah. And then also cause harm to other relationships. Exactly. And exactly. Because yeah. that's not anybody else's, that's not anyone else's baggage but my own. Yeah. Like we're responsible for the healing part. Yep. And that's like one of the things that like my uh, sponsor and and other women that I have seen go through similar situations say is oftentimes that fourth column is, you know, how have I used this mm. to get what I want? 100%. Or how have I used this to be able to continue to drink? Yes. Or to hurt others Mm -hmm. you know like bringing that Isaac guy that I was talking to you about um you know like a lot of the harm that I caused to him was bringing my previous relationship stuff into that yes and not being responsible for healing that part absolutely yeah absolutely bringing that stuff in and using it as well of course I drink like I do Yes. Look at what happened to me. I did that all the time. All the time. And mm-hmm. I would I wouldn't say it in those words, of course, but I I would use those things, right, to manipulate other people. Mm-hmm. Um and oftentimes and it's just I mean, it's you know, it's that part of the book that certain at certain times our excuses make sense, right? Even to yes. us and to other people. Yes. Because we can say, well, obviously, like, who wouldn't? But they do not make sense when we look at the, the havoc, havoc that we yes. created. Yes. Because nine times out of ten, those things that I'm quote-unquote drinking at were put into play because of my drinking. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make – yeah, exactly. So it's it's just one of the – bringing that baggage. So we're, we're responsible for the healing process, and I t- took no responsibility – in my healing journey for years. Yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, I could literally talk to you all day. (laughs) (laughs) But I know that um, we are a little bit over an hour now, which is fine. I want to talk to you about your favorite part in the book because Mm. that also ties in. It does. It puts a nice bow on everything that we've been talking about. I have a thousand favorite parts of the book, of course, like everybody, right? Yeah. Um, but my, yeah, my favorite part uh, is in actually in the family afterward, which was one of those chapters that I had completely disregarded for years, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, I don't have a family, so I don't need to read that, <laughs> like of my own. And like, yeah, so um, I'm not an employer, so I don't need to read to the employers. Yeah, so it's on page 124, and it's a little bit more than halfway down the page, and it says, Cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have, the key to life and happiness for others. With it, you with it you can avert death and misery for them. Like, yeah, all the, mm-hmm. all the goosebumps. Mm-hmm. Um, I was so angry at so many things that had happened to me when I came into this program. And not only did AA, the steps, and my sponsor show me 
that those were things that I had created, right? Um, they showed me that those things could be used for good. That was such a um, uncomfortable thing to think about at first, talking about things that we've talked about today, mm -hmm. right? I never thought that I would spend my time talking about any of these things that had happened in my life, right? Because they were such dark things that I wanted to bury in the closet and never think about again. But now they're the exact things that allow me to immediately connect with another woman, right? Immediately help me sponsor another woman, see where they're coming from, mm. um, help the next alcoholic. Yeah. And it's just like um, the promise will neither regret the past nor with wish to shut the door on it. Right. These, these are something, you know, the things we've That's talked about. That's huge, sorry. Yes, it's huge. Yeah. I think, I mean, it's one of my favorite promises because I spent my time obsessing over the past, right? And not only drinking at it, but using it to, like, like we said, um, justify my drinking, justify my actions, um, and define me. Now it's just a part of my story rather than who I am. Yes, I relate to that so much too. Yeah. So that, I mean, the minute I read that sentence or those couple sentences this time around, it was just like, oh, well that, I mean, that's the program, mm -hmm. right? Is we don't have to use that those things to define us anymore, but we can use them. Yeah. Right? Those yeah. things still have use. and. Yeah. And, and for good used for good yeah yeah i love that so much mm. so good well my final question and like i said this has been amazing i think it's really going to help a lot of I, a I lot of I people so. i hope so yeah it will and like i said every every episode is different yeah. you know and so that's what i love about it yeah. because like the other day someone texted me like hey i have a sponsee going through this thing like do you have an episode you'd recommend for this mm -hmm. thing and i was like actually yes i do here you go you know yeah. and so like thank god like oh, not all so of the cool. episodes are the same or right. all of our stories are the same you know yes. So my final question for you is just if you could leave the listeners with one takeaway um, for a woman or a man who is wanting to get sober or stay sober, whatever the case may be, what would you want to leave them with? You know, it's so funny. I hear you ask this every time and I like didn't want to have an answer prepared, but right. it's hard not to prepare an answer. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I think there's a couple main points, but basically I think it can be summed up as you're not alone. Mm or the only one, and there is 100% a solution that is very available to you if you seek it. Yes, and free, a free solution. Free, free solution um, that will always be available if you, if you want, if you want it, mm -hmm. right? For so long I felt not only alone, but like the only one had, who had been through these things. Um, which was part of my selfishness and self-centeredness, right? Um, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't, no one would. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, you're not. And the, this, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a solution because uh, otherwise we wouldn't be talking. Yeah. Right? Um, the Magdalene House wouldn't exist. So many things wouldn't be possible without it. Yeah. So. Ah, yeah. love it. This I was so it. good. All right, everyone, if you have loved what you heard, please like, share, subscribe, leave a review, rate on Spotify, upload to your Instagram stories. Let us know what your takeaways were. And thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic day, and I will catch you all on the next episode.
Bye! This podcast is from the Magdalen House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at MagdalenHouse.org. Thank you.